Welcome to the teaching ministry of Faith Bible Church. We pray as you listen to the following message, you will be encouraged and equipped to passionately pursue Christ. For more information, please visit our website at fbcevansville.com. Speaking of biblical counseling, I once saw a biblical counselor draw a stick figure with a question mark on top of the stick figure's head. That's how most of us live our lives, with a big question on top of our heads. And you can phrase the question in a variety of ways, but it all comes out to the same thing. Am I doing the right thing? <laughs> Am I being a good per person? Am I fulfilling my purpose? Is my life meaningful? Does it matter? You look up and say, does God approve of me? And then you look around and say, do they approve of me? <laughs> if you have good theology, then you think, of course Christ is pleased with me. But you can say that question dismissively, you know. Yes, Christ is pleased with me, but I need to get my act together. So the question mark hangs over your head, and you will try to answer that question somehow. Some of you are trying to answer the question by getting everyone you know to like you. How's that going? <laughs> Not well. Or some of you are just interested in getting the right people to like you or to love you. Some of you are trying to answer that question with success in your workplace. Some of you, it's by acquiring a large amount of wealth. It might be love, it might be popularity, it might be money. We have sought out many devices for quieting the question mark that hangs above our head. But after all the devices are exhausted, you know the question mark just remains there until you embrace the doctrine known as justification by faith. What is justification? It is God declaring, not asking a question. It is God declaring over you, this one is perfectly righteous as far as I'm concerned. When we embrace this truth of justification by faith, God takes the question mark on top of your head and straightens it out into an exclamation mark. Righteous, not righteous. Righteous. And it's the only way that becomes an exclamation mark. When I consider the mass of angst and anxiety that characterizes the next generations, if you look at those, any are here who are in high school or beyond, what some would call, I guess, Gen Z and whatever the next generations are, I don't see this human tendency changing. If anything, it increases. Think about all the angst, all the self-deprecation. Just listen to the music or look at the memes. There is a self-loathing. There is a massive question mark still hanging above the heads of everyone, being answered with less and less confident replies. Everyone is wondering, from young to old, righteous? Am I right? Am I wrong? This has been our plague Ever since Adam and Eve first fell from paradise, you remember they covered themselves, they covered their shame in fig leaves and went hiding from God. They had a question. 
What does God think about us now that we've transgressed his holy law? And they were filled with shame. But the last Adam has come. And although the first Adam is responsible for the question mark we are born with, the last Adam comes with a bushel of exclamation marks in his arm, arising out of the grave, triumphing, and the good news of the gospel is he offers these to us, that we can be declared by God to be right, to be righteous, and not halfway righteous, but entirely righteous. The record of our guilt completely cleared away so that not one blot of it remains and instead an absolute purity as far as God is concerned. When he looks upon you, a declaration that you are his beloved child, in you he is well pleased. You cannot live a happy Christian life without some sort of confidence approaching that. Our text today in Galatians is a solid gospel text, and it is about nothing less than justification by faith and by faith alone. It comes in the context, you remember, of Paul rebuking Peter, who had come up as a leader of Jerusalem to Antioch, where Paul was. And Peter at first was sitting at the table with Gentiles who by faith were now members of God's people. Peter would eat at the table with them, recognizing by faith, not by works, not by becoming Jewish, not by doing certain things, but by believing in the same Jesus with the same faith, these were equal brothers and sisters. But when a group of men had come from Jerusalem to check on the church in Antioch, Peter stopped eating with the Gentiles. This suggested to everyone watching that maybe justification is not really by faith. Maybe it is by works after all. And therefore, that's why we got where we did to verse 14, where Paul rebuked Peter publicly for compromising the exclamation of the gospel. And so we have this text for us today. It's hard to tell whether it is Paul still rebuking Peter. Some of your translations may have the quotation marks continue on. Or maybe it's just Paul's explanation now of that rebuke. In either case, he's explaining the rebuke. And he is establishing before our eyes as clearly as it's possible to do that justification is by faith alone and not by works. See this with me in Galatians 2, verses 15 and 16. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Peter was suggesting by his withdrawal from Gentile fellowship that the Gentiles could not be made fully right with God by faith alone. It required also circumcision, dietary restrictions, and a whole host of other laws. Works 
of the law. And so Paul is establishing for Peter and establishing for us that is not true. Anyone, Jew, Gentile, American, African, Kentuckian, Indianian, absolutely anyone in this entire world can be made immediately and completely right with God by nothing more than or other than believing in Jesus Christ. Faith alone, not by works. And so the division of our sermon today is rather easy. We're simply going to consider first that justification is not by works, since that's half of Paul's emphasis, and then that justification is by faith and faith alone, which is the other half of his emphasis. So let's consider one and then the other, and let's begin here by the negative. We are not made right with God by our works. I don't know how Paul could say this any more clearly in our text than he does. He says it three times. It's only two verses. And he says it three times. Twice as a general rule that applies for all time. Once as a specific application for himself. Verse 16. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law. That's always true. A person, any person, anyone is not justified by works of the law. Then look at the end of the verse. By works of the law, no one will be justified. And then the application right in the middle. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Three times. Now I have to say in starting here that when Paul uses works and works of the law, he's coming from a Jewish background. And there are... There's a lot of overlap and there are some differences, you could say, between how he uses works and works of the law and how we might think of it, not being Jewish ourselves, where the Gentiles talked of here. For example, one of the main things in Paul's mind, not the only, but one of the large things in Paul's mind when he's saying works of the law or law has to do with pedigree. Look at this in verse 15. He says, we ourselves are Jews by birth, and not Gentile sinners. He starts that way before he asserts that justification is only by faith and not works because that right there, the pedigree of a Jewish person in his day was one of the things that a Jewish person would be tempted to rely upon as an automatic entrance into the kingdom of God. If you were born Jewish, that is a work of the law in the sense that it ensures, they would think, it, is, it assures that you will be automatically saved, automatically righteous before God. After all, the Jewish people were chosen by God. Of all the nations on the earth, they were chosen. The descendants of Abraham, they would be the ones through whom the whole world would be blessed. This is why Jesus said, don't presume to say, or John the Baptist rather said, don't presume to say, we have Abraham for our father. Automatic ticket into heaven, but it was not. Now, notice how Paul words this in verse 15. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. That does not mean that Paul thinks that Gentiles are the sinners and the Jews are not. <laughs> I think Paul had been stoned by enough Jews at this point that he knew that Jews were also sinners. Romans 3.9 dispels that idea. What then, he says, are we Jews any better off than Gentiles? 
No, not at all, for we've already charged in Romans 1, 2, and 3 that all, both Jews and Greeks, Gentiles, are under sin. So why does he only call the Gentiles in verse 15 Gentile sinners and not Jewish sinners? <laughs> I think there are two reasons for that. One is he is sort of ironically taking the position, the prejudice held by the Jewish people. When the Jewish people thought of sinners, they first thought about non-Jews. Surely they understood Jews were sinners too, but that's what they thought about. The Gentiles, they were sinners. They were the sinners. And so Paul adopts the language that he and Peter and the other Jews would understand. Just think of the prejudice, for example, that the Jewish people felt towards Samaritans. And Samaritans were at least half Jewish. <laughs> they were only half Gentile. And yet we read in the Gospel of John, Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. They're the sinners, at least the half-sinners, I guess, if they're Samaritans. So Paul calls them Gentile sinners because he's taking the position, the prejudice of the Jewish people into account. But I want you to remember that the prejudice of the Jewish people was not based on nothing. And the second reason he says Gentile sinners and not Jewish sinners is because the nature of the sin of the Gentiles was loud and explicit. The sin of the Jewish people was often, as Jesus said of their leaders, like dead men's bones that you hide in a nicely whitewashed tomb. It was covered over in religiosity and a so, an appearance of reverence toward God, but inwardly there was all kinds of corruption. So it was the kind of hypocrisy you find in churchy cultures. <laughs> we know about that, right? That happens in churchy religious upbringings. There's still a lot of sin, but it's prettied up. The Gentiles, on the other hand, sinned on their billboards. They were the ones who advertised openly their sin as a general rule. Prostitution, all kinds of perversities were not only performed but celebrated. And so he calls them Gentile sinners. Peter in 1 Peter 4.3 speaks of what the Gentiles want to do as being, quote, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. The Gentiles did not have the law of God to restrain them, and therefore they proceeded unrestrained to fulfill the desires of their hearts, and their sin was more open and explicit. So here you see then two groups of people, the religious, the Jewish, and the irreligious. And Paul refers to the irreligious as sinners just because their sin is more open and obvious, not because the Jewish people didn't sin as well. You can read Romans 1 through 3, and that's obvious. But notice, both of these groups, as has been observed by many others, have a question mark on their heads and are trying to answer that question but just in different ways. Whether we're talking about the good, nice Jewish people who hide their sins deep down within, or the open, explicit, sinful Gentile sinners, both are trying to answer the question mark upon the head. The irreligious person, the Gentile sinner, this irreligious person is plunging into sin because if he can't be good enough to be with the religious, then he's going to deal with it either by laughing at hell or by thinking, at least I'm not a religious hypocrite. That's how you answer the question. You're still wondering, am I good? Am I right? 
You don't just fully give up on it. You're still trying to figure out if my life is meaningful here. The religious Jew on his part, which is the focus of this text, relies upon things like his pedigree. But, Paul says, being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. They said, we have Abraham as our father, and they thought that pedigree, that religiosity, being born, being in a churchy culture, to use our language, but being in that religious environment where you had the law regulating life, that that would be enough to make sure that God does think of them as right. In our context, it would be someone saying, you know, my parents and my grandparents are Christians, therefore, I also am Christian. As has been said before, God doesn't have any grandchildren, only children. But that is a temptation in a religious environment, is to think we can be right with God by pedigree. But pedigree means nothing at the gates of heaven. That's why Paul says in our text, we ourselves are Jews by birth. We've got a great pedigree. We're religious. We're not Gentile sinners. It's not explicit and out there. We've got the law. But then look what he says after. Yet, even with our pedigree, even in our religious environment, we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus, just like the Gentile sinners have to in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. As I said before, these works of the law have a slightly different flavor to them when Paul says them, being Jewish in his context. We might not immediately think of our birth. He says, by birth, by nature, by birth. You might not immediately think of your pedigree, although there are ways to do that today. But here's where there's overlap. Works of the law can refer not just to dietary restrictions and to circumcision, which are fairly non-issues to us today, but works of the law also embraced morality, doing the right thing. That's why in the Old Testament you have some ceremonial law that's not as applicable to us, but you also have many, many commands of the Old Testament that's simply morality, treating others the right way. How hard is it to get out of our minds the notion that we can contribute something to the certainty of our salvation by being good moral people? You can't, almost can't get it out of your head. It is so built in to fallen mankind. It would be easier to take a camel and to pull him hair by hair through the tiny eye on top of a needle than to get the notion of justification by good moral works out of the head of a human. It just gets stuck in there like a burr on your sock. It's so hard to get out. That's why I think in this text, Paul says it three times over. Not by works of the law. Not by works of the law. Not by works. <laughs> I kind of resonate because you've probably had this experience if you're a believer, and we all struggle with this, if you're a believer and you're sharing the gospel with someone and you think you've done a decent job and you've made it rather clear that we can be made right with God just by trusting in what Jesus did and not by contributing, not by fixing up our life, cleaning up our act. You just trust in Him and then your act gets cleaned up afterward. And I feel like I've done a good job explaining that 
And I said, do you understand? Said, yeah, that's why I've been trying to clean my life up. <laughs> what? <laughs> I said, listen, not by works of law. Exactly, works. That's what I'm talking about. No. <laughs> but you've probably had, and many people have shared similar experience, I've really experienced that sort of thing, and you probably have too. How hard it is to pull that out of the human mind. It is so difficult. It is so built in. We say believe, and it's always heard as do. <laughs> Got to do something. The scriptures have for 2,000 years contained these words. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Does not work, but believes. Not works, faith. Not works, faith. Not works, faith. And for 2,000 years, even within the church, mostly everybody gets that question still wrong. <laughs> but it's right there. Not works, but faith. It's like a foreign language to fallen man. And if it's a foreign language to you today, my only prayer can be that the Holy Spirit would produce a new sort of Pentecost and speak to you in a language you can understand. You can be right with God, not by anything you go home today and do. Not by going home and cleaning the cobwebs out of your closet, of getting rid forever of pornography, of cleaning up all the relationships that you've messed up, of becoming a better person and turning over a new leaf. Look, you should do all those things. And if you come to Christ, you will do many of those things. But that is not how you come to Christ. Those are all works. Not by works. Try it a second time. Not by works. Third time. Not by works. But by faith. Not by works. The Philippian jailer cried, what must I do to be saved? Oh, works? No. <laughs> Believe. And that was the complete answer given by Paul. Believe and you will be saved. Believe, saved. Works? No. Believed? Yes. Faith? Yes. Works? No. We need a marquee that just has not by works continually scrolling, scrolling, and scrolling. That, in effect, is what Paul is doing in this text, trying to make it as clear as possible that justification is not by works. If you look at the thief who was pinned upon the cross, he's glad that justification is by faith because literally his hands are pinned to a cross. There are not many works that you can do with your hands and your feet nailed to a Roman cross about to die. And Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. What? What? He didn't have a chance to be baptized. He didn't have a chance to make good on any of the bads he did. He couldn't turn his life around. Not by works, but by faith. So whether it's pedigree, religious environment, or moral living, none of those things contribute at all to changing that question mark to an exclamation mark. None of them make you right with God. But that leads us now to the positive side of the equation, the other half of this passage. You're not made right with God by works, but you can be, anyone can be, made right with God by faith. Just like he said three times it's not by works, he says three times it's by faith. Verse 16, 
Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have faith, believed. That's just the verb of faith. We also have had faith in Christ Jesus, too, in order to be justified, in case you missed it, by faith in Christ. Faith, faith, faith. Three times made absolutely clear. Now, before we jump into the nature of faith itself, we should back up a little bit. I've mentioned it in passing, but let's be absolutely clear. What do we mean by justified? You're not justified by works. You are justified by faith. But what is justified? It's not a word that we commonly use. Justification is the exclamation point upon your head that declares, God declaring, this person, that's you, this person who has faith, this person, as far as I'm concerned, says God, is completely righteous, has always obeyed in every particular with zero instances of failure, always. It's God considering you to be that. It's Him reckoning you, to use an older term. He's reckoning you as righteous, even though you do sin. You have sinned. You will sin. But justification is God declaring you while you're still a sinner, declaring, reckoning you to be a fully righteous person. You say, how can that be possible? There is an infinite gap between me and flawlessness. I mean, it's, a, it's so far. You can't see the other side. So is God just wrong? Is he just confused that he would ever point at me and say, this person's perfectly righteous? That's a lie. That's not true, is it? How can this be possible? In comes the gospel. And hence why it's good news. This is what the cross was all about. To make God saying, this is a righteous person who meets my standards and therefore can be with me forever. To make that not just a fiction. To make that something that he can say. How can he do it? You go to the cross and there you find Jesus and you read, God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, flawless, perfect righteousness, to be sin for us. Wait a minute. He's not sin. You just said he knew no sin. How can he make him to be sin if he knows no sin? There's only one way. He can consider him a sinner. He can reckon him to be what he's not. He's not a sinner. But God can reckon him to be a sinner. How can God do that? Just making up sins? No, those are real sins. He's not a real sinner, but those are real sins reckoned to him. They're your sins. That's your pornography on Friday. That is you yelling at your spouse on Tuesday. And those sins are reckoned to Jesus on the cross. He is reckoned as a sinner. He is punished with hell, compacted into a handful of hours and laid upon him so that Isaiah says it crushed him. And then he says, it's finished. All your sins, tomorrow's sins, they have been reckoned to him and finished with. They've been punished. Because God's righteous, he's got to punish them. They're punished. But how does the verse end? So that in him, we might become 
the righteousness of God. But we're not the righteousness of God. We're so far. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We're so far from the righteousness of God. But nothing less than God's own righteousness can qualify us for heaven. We can become the righteousness of God. How? In Him. Through faith in Him, not only are your real sins reckoned to Him as if He did them, but His knew no sin, His perfect flawless obedience, every time you've read in the Gospels, Him reaching out to touch the leper, Him responding perfectly, Him knowing what to say and what to do and staying up all night in prayer, everything you never did, everything that Jesus did perfectly in conformity to the will of God, God reckons it as if you really did it. And therefore, on that basis, God rightly declares this person is perfectly righteous. That's justification. That's why there is good news. Solomon says, Surely there's not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. And that is a true maxim. And we're grateful that there has been only one exception. And that was Jesus, and we have his righteousness like a clean, pure robe wrapped around us if we are in Christ. How can you be reckoned to be a perfect father when you're not a perfect father? Ask your kids. You're not a perfect mom. You failed your kids. You're not a perfect son or daughter. You're not a perfect friend. You're not a perfect leader. You're not a perfect follower. And yet when God looks at you, that's not what he sees first. First he sees perfect. My beloved child in whom I'm well pleased. This is not a legal fiction. God really reckoned real sins to Jesus, your real sins, and he reckons a real righteousness to you. It's just, it's not yours. It's Jesus' righteousness to you. That is justification. That's why Paul can tell the Corinthians who had their fair share of problems, you are in Christ Jesus who became to us righteousness. And that is why if you're justified, you will never feel one degree of the heat of hell ever. On the bottom of your heel, you can't. You will never experience any of the penalties for your sins. What is there to punish? There's nothing left to punish in you. Nothing. Even if you sin tomorrow, already paid for, there is nothing left to punish. That's why being justified, you have peace with God. He's not hostile toward you. He loves you like a child. He treats you like a child. He embraces you. You have a future eternity of joy awaiting you, and it is guaranteed by the seal of His Spirit. All of this because you're perfectly righteous as far as God's concerned. That's justification. Now, our souls should salivate after such a delight as justification. And we would ask, how do I get that? There are many of you in here who have it. And there are some of you in here who are hearing this and you don't have justification. How do you get it? By faith. And in case you missed it, it's by faith. One more time. By faith. Three times Paul tells us in the text, you can be justified by faith in Jesus Christ. Look at it. A person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ. Paul's immediate point to Peter was, 
if justification's really by faith, then you can't go on treating the Gentiles as if they're lesser Christians. Because if it's really faith, and that's it that makes us right with God, it's not your pedigree, it's not being a good Jew, and it's not morality, it's really just believing, then they're believing just like you're believing, Peter. The Jews and the Gentiles are believing. It's the same believing. And if that's really all that makes us right with God, as we say it is, then you can't be treating them different. You can't suggest even by your actions that they're less saved or less justified. They're justified just the same. And if you suggest otherwise by not eating at their table, you're suggesting that you being a good Jew and keeping dietary restrictions and so forth is at least throwing a little copper into the coffer of justification. You're at least you know, contributing a little more than the Gentiles. And Paul's making the point, nothing more. Even though we're good Jews and not Gentile sinners, yet even we've believed because it's only by faith. It's not by works. That is why it depends on faith, Paul told the Romans, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, the person born a Jew, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, that is, Gentiles, who is the father of us all, Jews and Gentiles alike, all who believe. Listen. If this great salvation is by faith, then there's not any reason that every single individual in this room to man and woman and child should not be justified before God. You can believe. You can't go back and change your pedigree. You can't go back and erase the sins you've committed in the past. You can't even turn over that new leaf you keep talking about turning over. You can believe in Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you're good at. You don't even have to know how to read. It doesn't matter if you have a high or low educational level. It doesn't matter socioeconomically where you fall on that scale. Totally irrelevant. It doesn't matter if you have a churched background or an unchurched background. It doesn't matter if you're American. It doesn't matter if you're from any part of the globe. It makes no difference whatsoever. Every person, by God's grace, can believe in Jesus Christ. Salvation is therefore a door that's been thrown wide open. Whosoever will may come, says Jesus, because it is by faith. You say, well, I just am so ensnared in sins. I've been addicted to sins for such a long time. It's changed my brain chemistry. I can't really be a faithful Christian. You can. You can believe. And the more desperate you are, the more likely it is you will believe, actually. You say, I'm not the Christian type. Let me just ask you, what is the Christian type? You know, the Christian type, according to Jesus, is the prostitute type and the tax collector type. Jesus said, I didn't come for the healthy people who have it all together. I came for prostitutes and I came for tax collect. Are you the prostitute type? Good. You're qualified. You can believe. It's not about what you can do with the strength of your arms. It's about can you fall into the strong arms of Jesus Christ? Anybody can fall forward into the arms of Jesus Christ. That's what faith is. Falling into his arms. They are strong enough to do all the work that needs to be done. He said it is 
finished, and it is finished. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. You will be justified. You will have the exclamation mark upon your head. It can happen this moment. It doesn't have to delay until later, until you're by yourself. It happens the moment you believe on Jesus Christ and trust in Him. Let me first go set my house in order, make sure that's what I'm going to do. Can I really be a Christian? Listen, yes, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Not by works, not by works, not by works, the text exclaims, but by faith, by faith, by faith.